We're gonna continue with this theme that we started a couple weeks ago, diving into these victories and wins from the field. So today, we've got Joe Gravino on the show out of New York. This is Pain Refrain. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Pain Reframed, being able to talk to these clinicians who have taken this emerging content and really shifted their paradigm in their thinking and the way they practice. And what's cool is talking about how they pulled it off, right? How they've marketed, how they've connected with multidisciplinary providers in their area, and just how they've taken this new era of, of psychologically informed practice and really put it to work. And Joe was a cool guest because... He had a personal experience with chronic pain that he worked through in some very psychologically informed ways. And he'll talk about how he wound up getting to that point. And then it took a lot of that experience and, and channeled that into his ability to manage patients who have been dealing with the same. And so I think Joe has some amazing pearls. Um, great to hear about his practice. And I think a lot of you guys are going to be able to take from this interview some new ways to move things forward um, in your clinics, especially those of you who are in rural America. So enjoy. And without further ado, here's Joe Gravino. I'm in a small suburb outside of Buffalo, New York. I'm a private practice owner with a partner, Michael Brown. And our private practice, just the two of us, we kind of went into practice because we didn't like the way that the current model of care was in our area at least and so we we developed a, a style where which is not typical in this part we treat one patient every 30 to 45 minutes which is really cool and that really just started opening up the door for a lot of people with let's say chronic conditions or chronic pain to end up hearing about us because we were only treating one person every 30 to 45 minutes very cool so you mentioned to me some history that you have as far as a personal experience with chronic pain. Did, did that kind of stimulate some of the way that, that you've wanted to manage people? And can you maybe unpack a bit of that story for us? Yeah, a little bit different. I didn't have necessarily like chronic neck or chronic back pain, but I do uh, have chronic stomach pain. About, I want to say maybe about eight or nine years ago now, I started getting um, stomach pain that just wouldn't stop. I had all the testing done. There was a lot of physical signs and symptoms and no one really could tell me, you know, why I was having stomach pain, why I was having these physical symptoms. You know, I went on a journey really for about probably five or six years where I kind of called it my seeking phase. I sought out any type of drug or intervention that someone told me would help and nothing really seemed to help. You know, during this time, I was also, you know, in PT school, you know, that the stress of that probably wasn't the best, but um, I never really let it influence me school-wise or educationally. And it wasn't until my general practitioner said to me, you know, maybe you should go speak to somebody about how you've been dealing with this. And I kind of blew him off because I was like, I'm fine, you know, mentally speaking, I'm, you know, I don't need any help. And I was just so gracious that all these, you know, physicians and other medical practitioners were very open for me. You know, I would just, hey, this drug's experimental. Can you try and help me, you know, find it? Uh, or get on it or see if my insurance will approve it. So I was like, you know, you guys have always been good to me. I'll, I'll, I will give your recommendation a try. I sat down with this uh, gentleman. His name's Dr. Jeffrey Lackner, psychologist who works pretty much with people with chronic stomach problems. His research is pretty interesting not to, you know, drop too much information about him, but they're showing that you can actually see physical changes in the bacterial makeup in our stomach lining with cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. But long story short, I met Dr. Jeffrey Lackner and he, he really pointed out to me the influence of my rumination, 
by catastrophizing truly some of my anxiety that surrounded my stomach pain and how it was influencing me personally. After meeting, you know, Dr. Lackner, within a month, I was 50% better. Wow. And within three months, I was I was far better than I ever truly believed I probably would get. And that really kind of just opened my mind up to something I kind of closed down for a long time, showing me that although all pain is real, the context of it, how it influences your life, how you how you perceive it influencing your future, truly can influence the physical symptoms, what you allow yourself to do, the self-limitations you put on, on yourself. And as a therapist, that was huge because you know, really at that point in time in my career, I was so manual based and so into, you know, more, I guess, more of like a bio uh, mechanical approach. And that kind of just made me take a step back and say, am I missing something with my patients? And that kind of really opened up the door. Dude, that, that's great, Joe. It's a gut check, you know, for myself, for you, for everybody in that, you know, what are we doing when someone's in that seeking phase and we keep promising more tissue solutions? that we're going to be able to stretch this or strengthen this or mobilize this. And that'll finally be the answer. And I think we're all well aware of a sliding scale, you know, of acute and subacute, you know, peripheral, nociceptive, dominant mechanical pain to things that have more of a central component. But the reality is when someone's having this ongoing issue and they're seeking out solutions, I think our role needs to be stepping up and saying, you know what, let's take a breather here and let's really reflect. Let's be willing to go on a different journey. But you know, I don't know about you, Joe, but I mean, in practice, that can be a tough thing to say because the person wants to hear the solution. Yeah, I have a first year student right now. and We were having this conversation earlier today because we had this patient literally right in front of us, probably around one o'clock. You're right. These are tough conversations that people don't necessarily want to hear. And as I said to him was, unfortunately, being a good medical practitioner means that you have to have these tough conversations and you can't stray away from them because this is what's appropriate for the patient. Even if they don't necessarily want to believe that right now, I kind of believe that our goal for that person is to help them see the appropriateness of the interventions that you or I might might bring in or, or intervening on more of a biopsychosocial level or, you know, as some would say, trying to intervene on more of the central mechanisms at play than necessarily the peripheral at that point in time at least really, you know, comes down to meeting the person, at least from what I've seen with my experience, is you meet the person kind of where they are and you try and have them be the individual who kind of comes forward with the recommendations. And a lot of this style or technique that I've come to grow and love and, and try and continue to work more on is for that person who doesn't quite know, you know, what they want or what, what they need or is in kind of a state of denial that, they're in this more central mechanistic dominated place is really using some motivational interviewing techniques that come out of the world of addiction and have the person, you know, be the leader of their care, but you're guiding them on this process to seeing, Hey, you know what? I've tried all these medications. I've tried chiropractic manipulation. I've tried, you know, every passive treatment under the sun. You're right. Maybe it's time I become more of an active, an active role in my care. And that's tough. How do you bill for getting the person to become an active component? <laughs> right. It's challenging from a billing standpoint. And quite honestly, I mean, I've always been in private practice and there's some element of you that wants to retain the patient, you know, and, and wants to see them through a, a plan of care. There's that concern of, you know, are they going to dig their heels in, push back? And 
It was funny, man. I was at a Greg Lehman course in Fort Myers, Florida. He talked about the boomerang effect. I, I loved that conversation because Greg talked about how we all need to be willing to say it because if you say it and somebody does get frustrated with you and they leave your care, but they kind of think about it, you know, and they're like, God, that does make some sense. And the other stuff isn't working and they go back and maybe they land on a different practitioner. Maybe it's not you, but if they hear the same news again and that same message becomes to have that reinforced truth and all of a sudden they're willing to act on it. If you don't, the majority of, of rehab professionals, you know, give in to the need to give that person a solution based passive care, we're never going to get those folks to that point. No, you're right. And it's actually interesting because I've never heard that term, the boomerang effect, but you often see that, you know, these people will leave. And, and as a private practice owner, like that kind of stinks, you know, <laughs> and, and kind of like what you said, because unfortunately we want to keep the doors open, the salaries paid and everything. I often say that, you know, I got into private practice to bring, you know, the care back to healthcare, at least where we are. Sometimes that means being willing to lose the patient but I'll tell you this, Jeff, a lot of times since I've been dabbling in this world, so to speak, or since I've been willing to open up to central pain mechanisms and having tough conversations with patients, the ones that I lose, if and when they come back, usually turn out to be my best patients mm -hmm. and usually turn out to tell their mother and their brother and everybody, you know, how wonderful your care was or our care was purely because we didn't push, you know, our passive treatment on them or we didn't just fold to them or we didn't give them a false hope. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Those are victories hard won, but when one, you know, can run deep. Couldn't agree more with that story. As you guys are, are being very intentional on, on considering these mechanisms and being willing to, to practice in a way that includes motivational interviewing and just taking this general approach, you know, what would you share with new grads or practicing clinicians who are, you know, pretty entrenched in the let's say traditional issue is in the tissue model. Any advice on things that are working great for you guys or things that you absolutely would recommend incorporating and changing style to? Well, I'm, I guess I'd have to just throw out my slight bias a little bit. I worked with Annie O'Connor, who co-wrote the A World of Hurt book, and I've taken a lot of their courses. I've had the pleasure of working with her in the clinic a few times, and she's amazing. I'm also a certified MDT clinician, and I still would say that if the person is dominated through nociception, as a majority, I usually practice underneath that let's say, thought process. That said, I'd say that one thing that I've really learned from many of the people I've taken courses with, whether it was David Butler's group, the Noy group, Annie O'Connor and her group, Adrian Lau, whoever it may be, is if you, if you see some of these great, more infamous practitioners, the one thing that they really do well is they educate well. And they don't educate by just shoving information at the patient. They truly get the individual involved in the education component. And that means on a physical level, that means on a cognitive level, and that's really tough, especially when you're first starting out, trying to do those things because it's it's different than just being the authoritative figure saying, you know, we gotta move C4 on C5 and then all your pain's gonna go away. You have to kind of step back and check your ego at the door and realize that the patient's the biggest person in the room and you're here to help them. And part of that is bringing them into the circle Giving, getting them to recognize the education, getting them to feel the education or actually feel what you're trying to say. You know, using techniques like motivational interviewing or, or using uh, acceptance slash commitment-based therapy type conversational techniques to draw the patient into learning, I think is truly the biggest, the biggest challenge, but also 
how you get someone to actually make a decision to change their route in our healthcare model. And, and that's not easy and, and you're going to fail. And I've failed many, many times. But I think the willingness to try is really the only thing that truly matters because you'll get better. And many people, you'll be able to help so many people just by giving it a shot and, and not forcing you know, yourself on the, on the patient that you're going to be quite surprised. You know, I, I first saw Adrian talk years and years ago at, at, at one of the earlier Manipaloozas. And I remember, Joe, the one thing I told myself I was going to try, because I mean, I, I, I graduated from St. Augustine, did Stanley Paris and stuff, had a lot of manipulation training and was very much in that mindset. I told myself the one thing I was going to try was I was going to ask my patients, hey, what do you think is going on? And, and what do you think might help you? It was very challenging because... I wanted to be the authority because I wanted them to have confidence in what we were doing, right? Like I, I yeah. wanted them to know that, I, hey, this is going to help you. I found this impairment and here's what fixes that impairment. And I wanted to get them to believe like, oh, I'm in good hands. This person knows the answer. And so to drop my guard and say, you know, hey, Susie, what do you think is going on? Like, you know, you've been dealing with this, you know, what, what do you think the deal is? And why do you think some things haven't worked? And can you unpack that a bit for me? My whole practice changed, Joe. Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Because I mean, the answers were so different than what I expected and the conversations that came from that were so fruitful. And so insightful on the individual in front of you. And I also think when you take a step back and reflect on yourself as the clinician, you know, because I've gone through the same thing, Jeff, it, it's humbling. And I don't like to put any, any therapist or, or any medical practitioner down if they're not at that point yet in their career to be able to make that leap. Because, you know, we all spend a lot of money and time and effort truly cultivating our craft. And it's really hard, I think, to step back and recognize that, yes, you're a skilled practitioner. Yes, you know, you know, amazing things. But the individual in front of you is more important than you are in their own care. And, and that kind of stinks, right? And in the beginning, that really doesn't feel so good. But once you realize that, it really opens up this window where you start interacting with patients on such a different level such a more deep emotional level, you, you become a part of their society, a part of their culture with them to help them move forward. And that's a little different than being the authoritative figure who, you know, if I manipulate you a couple of times, you're going to get better because I know what I'm doing and, and, and I'm a good, confident practitioner. Not that those techniques are bad because we, we know that for the right individual, those types of things are phenomenal. But when we start dabbling with individuals who are going into the central pain mechanisms or, or dominated by them, you're going to, you're not going to do so hot. Absolutely. And I, I love, I love that those remarks, Joe, because it speaks to that and not or philosophy. You know, I think as the pendulum is swinging that willingness to sit there and say, you know, wh where do we need to go? Where is this person leading? I think it's a better way to look at it, you know, but being willing to accept that things are allowed to be acute, no septic dominant peripheral. It's okay. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and things are allowed to be centrally driven and for you to be able to, in any given patient, not have a bias yourself on, on what direction you go is a heck of a skill. Oh yeah. And no matter where everybody is, I think everyone's learning how to get better at that, regardless if you're Adrian Lauer or, or you, Jeff, or me, because every patient's unique and comes with a different story and a different, you know, a different body. And we're always learning. If we weren't, this wouldn't be called clinical practice. But, at the, you know, at the same time, I think you're right. It, it's tough to check your, your biases at the door sometimes and really let the patient drive 
you see the person who's got an acute nociceptive influence and, you know, a manual technique or a good exercise just abolishes it. You look like the best guy in town, right? It's wonderful. It's a good feeling. But man, you know what it's like when you're trying to apply that to an individual who may have central sensitization. You're not going to go as far as you hope. And truly, if you just took a step back and listened to the individual and took a good thorough examination, right, or, or kind of took a step back and seeing what your examination was, was truly saying, you'll see that you, you probably shouldn't have gone that route. And that's okay, you know, and I tell, I was telling my student this, you know, it's okay if you go that path, as long as you find yourself and say, oh, we started going down my road when, when really we need to go down the patient's road. And, and a lot of times we use the analogy that the patient's the, the pilot or the patient's the driver and we're the co-pilot trying to give, you know, trying to say, hey, we think Northwest, you know, is the right, is the right direction. What do you think? Right. But ultimately the pilot makes the decision. Dude, I love that. Caught ourselves going down my road and we should have been going down your road. That one's going to stick with me for a while. So, <laughs> so Joe, where are you going with the clinic? I mean, what, what's the vision? What are some things you intend to incorporate? I think when you get into private practice, it's interesting because you can kind of, you know, the world is kind of your oyster when it comes to what do you want to do? What niches of individuals do you want to work with? Our model is really set up well where I think we accommodate those who are experiencing pain derived from the central mechanisms. And we're really trying to find ways to influence our community as a whole through both uh, community-based education, through utilizing our website, as well as, you know, other social media outlets to kind of just get information for, you know, patients and the public to be interactive. You know, there's a lot of information out there, but you and I know that all that information isn't necessarily appropriate for every individual and to help have individuals have some sort of consistency or some sort of outlet of information to go to, I think would be is huge. And we're really trying to figure out a way to do that while, you know, running the clinic. We also do some clinical based research. We're really, we're really big on tracking our outcomes and looking at you know, where are we as a clinic not doing so well at with this, you know, is it a certain population or are we finding a certain subgroup of individuals that we just seem to fail more often than not? And how can we, how can we change that? And one big area we're hoping to dive more into is, is corporate wellness or self-insured organizations, because we truly believe that our ability to influence both nociceptive pain as well as central pain could be huge for these individuals going into you know, workers comp type situations. And I think that in the past, we've done these, these people some, some disjustice by, you know, blaming the fact that they were in the comp system. And if you take comp or workers compensation, you, you'll start to see that the system itself really doesn't, you know, help the individual. And as, a, as an employer, the potential monetary incentive to have someone help you mediate those costs could be huge. And there's other companies, you know, out in, in the United States doing this type of thing. And we're really trying to connect ourselves to them in some way, shape or form to help out more people. And, you know, Jeff, for us not to take up too much time, we really have the message and the thought process that we just want to help as many people as we can, whether it's central pain or peripheral pain. We just happen to be one of the places that has the ability to, to take the time with individuals who have central mediated pain. And that's wonderful. And I've always said this, if it's just me and my partner for the rest of our careers and we just get to help a bunch of people in our community, wonderful. If we tend to get bigger or work with big com companies and organizations and can help them, that'd be great too. But at the end of the day, I think you know our main goal is to consistently have a, a nice 
presence in our community, hopefully help our community understand pain and what it truly means altogether and help as many patients that we possibly can, you know, self-treat, self-manage and, and live a more fulfilling life. Absolutely love it, man. Love the vision. And Joe, thanks for your time. Before we sign off, can you leave whatever you're willing to in case folks hear this and want to connect, you know, as we're all trying to move forward, you know, have an ally and, and have an ear to chat in every now and then. Yeah, you can find me on our Facebook page. It's Elite Spine and Extremity Physical Therapy out of Buffalo, New York. And if you wanted to email me directly, that'd be more than fine. Um, my email is joegdpt at gmail.com. And I'd be more than happy. I love talking with other clinicians uh, about, you know, anything from pain mechanisms, et cetera, et cetera, and things like that. So I'd be more than happy to, to converse. And I appreciate the time, Jeff. This was wonderful. I'm, and I'm just glad to be able to hopefully help, you know, your viewers, both clinicians and non-clinicians alike, just see that, you know, there's many of us in this world and together we can all kind of push it forward. And I know that this this podcast has definitely been a godsend to me and some of my patients as well. What a great conversation with Joe Gravino. Again, great to hear their success in going a different direction. You know, they stepped outside of, of the current model and found a way to treat patients one-on-one and to really focus on the things that, that ultimately drive good outcomes in folks who have persistent pain. So um, what a great success story. And please, like Joe said, don't hesitate to reach out to him for, for pearls and ideas and thoughts. And, and let's keep staying together as a community. So thanks, everyone, for all the traffic. Really appreciate everyone going to ISPinstitute.com, looking at the offerings there. Keep finding Tim and I on social media. Um, we have a ton of good guests lined up here for the next few months. So really looking forward to a, to a great summer of reframing pain with you all. All right, take care. Enjoy clinic. Have an excellent day. Pain Reframed is brought to you by our sponsor, the International Spine and Pain Institute. Check out their transformative pain science programming at ispinstitute.com.